All right, let's continue to worship, shall we, by turning in our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you need a copy of God's Word, just get the attention of one of the ushers as they come down the aisle. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. You'll find 1 Timothy toward the end of your Bible, maybe about 80% of the way through, right after 1 and 2 Thessalonians, then 1 and 2 Timothy. You get to Philemon, Hebrews, and the lot. You've gone a little bit too far. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. It's Passion Week, as Cody mentioned earlier, and Easter is a coming. Passion Week, the week Jesus entered Jerusalem and died on the cross and went to the grave. Passion Week. Ending with him in the grave. But praise God, it starts with a celebration on Palm Sunday today as we remember it, which makes Palm Sunday a really, really good day, a great day, in fact. It's called Palm Sunday, by the way, because those who welcomed Jesus and celebrated his arrival into Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago waved palm branches. Palm Sunday because they waved palm branches. How about that? And they laid them on the road as he went along. Part of a tradition, you may not know, going back 15 centuries. Waving palm branches in the presence of a king for the purpose of rejoicing. Leviticus 23, verse 40, if you want to check it out. That time when God instructed the Israelites of old to use palm branches as an expression of great joy, great exuberance, great overflow of the heart. A celebration. But why that day? You ever wondered about that? Or am I the only one who wonders about things like that? Like, like why that particular day of all the possible days in the course of Jesus' ministry, like why that one? Why then? Five reasons, really quickly, really quickly. Number one, there was a crowd in Jerusalem. That's the first reason why Palm Sunday became Palm Sunday and is remembered on this Sunday. There was a crowd in Jerusalem, a crowd assembled for the Passover feast, one of the biggies where the people of Israel were instructed to come, and, and they did from all over the place. And so the situation was ripe, ripe, if you will, for a great celebration. Second, Jesus' reputation preceded him. Why that day? Because Jesus' reputation preceded him. It says in John eleven fifty six that they were actually looking for Jesus. They were seeking him, the crowds were, because of all the miracles that they, they had performed, that he had performed. They had heard. Third, he had just raised Lazarus. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Oh, don't miss this connection just before then. And John 12, 18 says, quote, the reason why the crowd went to meet him on Palm Sunday the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. This sign referring to the raising of Lazarus from the dead. I'm pretty sure that if we heard about somebody in our day and age raising somebody from the grave, documented, videoed, viral moment all over the place, that we would go meet him as well. And so they did. And Palm Sunday took place. Number four, he was entering like a king. Why that day? Because he was entering like a king. 
And just like the prophet Zechariah said 500 years earlier, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, he said, people of Israel, as he was looking ahead. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That day was special because Jesus entered the capital like a king. And then number five, the people connected the dots. The people connected the dots. He wasn't just any king. He was their king. Just like Zechariah had said, your king is coming to you. And so, John 12, 13, they took palm branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, which means God save us, or you are the one who saves, the very thing that we sing today. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even or especially the king of Israel, their king, making that day about as special as it gets, then and now, because Palm Sunday is the day Jesus revealed himself as king. That's bottom line. Palm Sunday is a great day because it's the day that Jesus revealed himself as a king. And not just any king, but the king. He revealed his kingship. He revealed who he really was and is. Entering the traditional way of kings, entering just like the prophet said, and opening the eyes of those who were present so indeed they could connect the dots. All of which makes Palm Sunday a great day. A great day. If you get nothing else, I hope you get that. But oh, what a contrast. Can you imagine? For eons past, Jesus enjoyed the grandeur of heaven. The kingship of heaven. Think of it. Clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. Heavenly kingship. Clothed that way, his hair a brilliant white and his eyes like a flame of fire, Revelation chapter 1 tells us. Remember that? His voice like the roar of many waters and his mouth sharper than a two-edged sword and a face that shined like the sun in full strength. And here he was riding on a donkey. What a contrast. And don't forget the scene that awaited him. I mean, that's what he had come from some 37 years earlier. And, and, and don't forget what awaited him just a week later when he returned to heaven, actually maybe about a month and a half later after the rose again, and then 40 days walking the earth. Don't remember the time just after that when he returned to heaven and the four living creatures, as we just sang, and the 24 elders fell down before him. Joined by the voice, it says, of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, far more than Palm Sunday, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. That's what awaited him. King of earth and heaven, the contrast must have been palpable to him. 
as he rode on a donkey among mere mortals for whom he would die. Fully revealed on Palm Sunday. All of which revealed, foretelling, recalling the kingship of heaven and the kingship of earth. All of which makes it a great day to renew your commitment. Palm Sunday is a great day to renew your commitment to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. A day not just to remember something historical, but do something practical. So often I think we approach Palm Sunday and it's just another history lesson. It's just another reminder for us. Oh God, may it not be today, not this Sunday. That's been my prayer, is now. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. The Apostle Paul is writing here and he says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, sinful things that he just cited. I'll come back to them. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you, Paul says, in the presence of God, quorum Deo, presence of God. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And all the angels echoed, holy, holy is the Lord. You combine that with Jesus' statement in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. You combine 1 Timothy 6 with Matthew 18, 20, and the king is in the house. Where two or three are gathered, there I am among them. The king is here. The king is here. Make no mistake. The King of kings and Lord of lords. The blessed Son of God who alone is sovereign, as Paul just exclaimed. Just gushing forth and ever vesting with the kingship of the Lord. Like what better day to renew your commitment to him? What better day? First, by fleeing what's wrong. Like it says in verse 11, flee these things. Renew your commitment. Can I just say, renew your commitment by fleeing the wrong things this morning. Things like false doctrine and ungodliness from verse 3. You can look at it on your own later. Flee those things. False doctrine and ungodliness which are hallmarks of those who live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. False doctrine and ungodliness. Flee it, Paul says. If you're going to renew your commitment, you need to flee what's wrong. You need to flee things like an unhealthy craving for controversy. Oh God, help us with that. Or flee the basics of your sin nature in verses 4 and 5. Things like envy. See if these don't strike a chord. Dissension. Slander. Evil suspicions and self-righteousness. 
Flee things like discontentment, a, a desire for wealth, uh, to be rich, and the love of money in verses 6 to 10. Flee such thing, God's, God says. If you're going to renew your commitment to the king of kings, you need to flee what's wrong. And on the other hand, you need to pursue what's right. Renew your commitment by fleeing what's wrong and pursuing what's right. Things like righteousness and godliness, verse 11. Faith and love. Steadfastness and gentleness. I dare say there's something here for everyone. On both sides of the coin. What we should flee and what we should pursue. For sure, something for all of us. So how about you? What do you need to flee? As you hear me list those things off, as you see them in the scriptures there, the previous paragraph, like what do you need to flee? What do you need to pursue? Like take a second to make a note, at least a mental note. Acknowledge it before God, even as I speak. Oh God, I know that I need to flee blank. What is it? Oh God, help me flee that. Oh God, help me be done with that. And on the other hand, make a note. Oh God, I so much want and need to pursue this. Gentleness. Christ-like godliness. Steadfastness in my faith so that I'm not one way on Sunday and another on Monday. Take a second to make a note because far from a throwaway day, far from an also ran, far from a mere indicator that Easter is near, Palm Sunday is a great day to renew your commitment to the King who is here. Renew your commitment. Second, it's a great day to recharge your spirit. Palm Sunday is a great day to recharge your spirit. Your spirit to fight the good fight of the faith, Paul says in verse 12. Do you see it there? Fight the good fight of the faith. As in, fight the battle to keep the faith as we've been talking about for months and months and months now in our study of Revelation. Fight the battle to hold fast. Fight the battle to resist the devil so that he will flee from you. Fight the battle to flee what's wrong so that he will flee from you. Fight the battle to do what's right. Fight the battle to live for the Lord. Fight the battle to put him first. Fight the battle to glorify God in all things, in your heart, in your speech, in your mind, in your actions, in everything. It's that big. Fight the good fight of the faith. It's that broad. Fight the good fight of the faith. A phrase that's little understood I think, and because of that, it's little appreciated and it's little followed. Fight the good fight. And while every Sunday is a good day to recharge your spirit and do that, Palm Sunday is a great day because the king who leads that fight is front and center. Front and center. The one who leads the charge. The one who ensures our victory, our victory in Jesus 
It reminds me of the kings in ancient England. Every now and then these series come out on, on TV and it's about the ancient kings of, of England. And I eat that stuff up. And they would go out to war from time to time. And some of the kings in that day would literally lead the charge into battle. Like they were the point of the spear. Sometimes on horseback and sometimes on foot. But they were the ones leading the fray. Leading the fight. Promising all kinds of things to those who followed them that they couldn't possibly promise. But Jesus promises something that's literally out of this world. He promises not only victory in our fight for the faith and in the faith, he promises eternal life. Victory and eternal life in heaven. And part, here's the connection, part of recharging your spirit for the battle that rages is taking hold of that promise and never letting go. Taking hold of that promise of life to the full and life forever and never releasing your grip. Taking hold of that promise and counting on it and treasuring it above all other things in your life. It's like Paul says in verse 12. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The good confession to which Paul refers is the confession of faith that Timothy made, his confession of faith, and the life that he received as a result of God's call on his life. That's the good confession to which Paul refers to here. Just like your confession of faith and repentance. Just like, literally, and your belief in the life that God gave you when you received him as your Lord and Savior. And the future to which he called you. Take hold of that. Take hold of that. If you've found yourself letting go a little bit so that you can indulge in this or that. Or if you found yourself letting go because you're distracted by this or that. This is a great day to regain your grip and never let go. This is a great day to treasure the pearl of greatest price that's been given you in your heart and soul and life for all eternity. Great day. That's how you recharge your spirit to fight the good fight. You remember the confession of the faith you made and you stick with it. You recall your testimony and you don't make a liar out of yourself by forsaking your faith. You remember your baptism in the presence of many witnesses and you keep on you keep on keeping on. Because the battle rages. The fight continues. The faith awaits. And the king is front and center. Palm Sunday and every day. Third, Palm Sunday is a great day to refresh your obedience. A great day to renew your commitment. Recharge your spirit and refresh your obedience. Look at verses 13 and 14 again in this respect. I charge you, Paul says, I charge you, 
I exhort you in the strongest possible way. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, plants, animals, and believers, as he's just talk about, talked about, eternal life. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. And I charge you in the presence of Christ Jesus. He just piles up reason upon reason upon reason. Like if the presence of God the Father isn't enough uh, to compel you, how about the presence of Jesus in our midst? I charge you in the presence of both, Paul says. Christ Jesus explicitly, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. It's another confession, that one, the confession that he's king right before his crucifixion. Remember, Pilate's like, hey, are you really the king of Jews? You say that I am. In other words, absolutely. I charge you before him, Paul says. Verse 14. To keep the commandment unstained, and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, his return. Keep the commandment, Paul says. It's an exhortation to obedience. The commandment probably referring to the entirety of Scripture, the whole Bible. Because the nearest antecedent command, the nearest one that just preceded Paul saying keep the commandment, is fight the good fight of the faith. Command, which, if you stop and think about it for just a split second, is the point of the entire Bible. Fight the good fight of the faith. It's the point of the entire Bible. Believe in Jesus and live for Jesus. Follow Jesus and trust Jesus. Be obedient to that. That's why this entire thing has, was written for us and is preserved for us. Keep the commandment. Be obedient. And Palm Sunday is a great day to refresh in that respect. A great day to refresh your obedience. A great day to reclaim it and reestablish it in your life. To refresh your obedience to God and his word. And don't miss the three qualifiers here. So good. Keep the commandment, Paul says in verse 14. Unstained. It's the first qualifier. Unstained. Not just, you know, a little bit pure, but not always pure. No, unstained, keep command, unstained, free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Three qualifiers. Unstained as in pure within. Pure within. Untainted with a bad attitude. Unblemished by ill motives. You know, like... Uh, Obeying to earn favor instead of obeying to show love. How many times did you do that as a kid? How many times did you obey your parents just to earn some favor? Maybe a cookie, a video, probably in these days. We didn't have it in my days. But how many times did you obey just to curry some favor with mom and dad instead of obeying because you love mom and dad? How many times did you obey to get brownie points instead of obeying to be a blessing? How many times did you do that last week at work? Unstained obedience is obeying because you want to instead of obeying because you have to. Obeying because you want to instead of obeying because you have to. 
That's unstained obedience that God calls us to. It's the first qualifier. The second one is free from reproach. Free from reproach. That is, obeying and living in such a way that a legitimate accusation of sin can't be made against you. A legitimate accusation of sin. Like, refresh your obedience to be free from reproach. To live above reproach. And third, obey long-term. That's the third qualifier here. Obey long-term. Make sure your obedience to God is a a long-term obedience, a long obedience in the same direction until Jesus returns or takes you home. That's, That's when, that's how long. How long do I have to obey? No, no. How long do I get to obey until Jesus returns or takes you home? And you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Three qualifiers. The question is, do they characterize you these days? Do those qualifiers characterize your obedience? Or does a bad attitude and blatant disobedience describe your life as you've walked in here this morning? If so, humble yourself and ask God to forgive you. You can do that, and he will. Humble yourself and ask God to forgive you. Repent and turn back to what's right. Repent and pursue righteousness and godliness, faith and love, steadfastness and gentleness. Call on Jesus and look to his word. Do that. But whatever you do, don't try to do it yourself. Don't try to refresh your obedience yourself. Don't try to live for Jesus all on your own. And don't try to, you know, just tighten your belt and grit your teeth and and gut it out. Because I think you know as well as I do, it won't last. It won't last. Self-discipline is part of obedience. Yes. Yes. It's not as though we can just go through the Christian life and coast and do nothing uh, that, that the Lord has prompted us and told us to do in the strength that he supplies. We must apply the strength that he supplies. So yes, self-discipline is a part of obedience, but listen, discipline alone leads to drudgery. Discipline alone leads to drudgery. Like, Oh, playing an instrument you don't like. Think seventh grade band, right? Or playing a sport that you hate. I like most sports, but there are a few that wouldn't make the top of the list. That's for sure. My roommate in college was a perfect example of this. We were both recruited to play basketball. We were both six feet seven, and we both loved it. Little side note on this, you know, we were in suites at Wheaton College, so two of us were in a room, and two other guys were in this room, and we were connected by a common bathroom in between. I don't know if somebody thought they had a sense of humor or not, but they put my roommate and I, who were both six seven, in one room, and they put, and I'm not kidding you, the two shortest guys on campus, 5'4", in the room next to us. We were, we were a picture. That's for free. 
But my roommate loved basketball like I did until our sophomore year. And as that year went by, my love and fervor for the game grew, but his declined until he got to the point of absolutely dreading it. Dreading lacing up his shoes, dreading walking on the court, especially dreading going to practice each and every day. I mean, everybody dreads practice to some extent, but he, he loathed it. He loathed it. It was all discipline and no delight, all drudgery and no love. And so at the end of the year, he quit. He quit because discipline without desire leads to duty without delight every time. Did you catch that? Self-discipline is a part of obedience to God, but discipline without desire leads to duty without delight, which is neither God-honoring nor sustainable. Neither. God-honoring obedience is a combination of discipline and desire. And quitting on him is not an option. Which means it's crucial to cultivate a love for the game. A love for obedience. And Palm Sunday, in the presence of King Jesus, is a great, great day to refresh yourself in that. A great day to refresh your obedience. That's the third thought from this scripture. Here's the fourth, two more. Palm Sunday is a great day to also revive your hope. Revive your hope. Your hope, not as in, as you hear me say all the time, your wish, your wishes, like I, I hope I get that for my birthday, or our grandkids someday when they're going to be cognizant of how much Becky goes all out for Easter baskets. They're going to be like, oh, I hope I get that in my Easter basket. No, that's not the kind of hope I'm talking about here. That's not biblical hope. I'm, I'm talking about your hope as in the anticipation, your anticipation for Christ's return. Your quiet, rock-solid confidence that he is coming again. Palm Sunday is a great day to, re to revive your hope in that respect. Like it says in verse 14, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. When that time is, nobody knows. But listen, it's the event on which we pin our hope. Do you realize that? The return of Christ is the event on which we pin our hope. The event on which we pin our future, our eternity. It's not just the forgiveness of our sin on which we pin our hope. It's not just heaven that we look forward to. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's his return in the flesh. His bodily return to us. His coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, the Bible says, revealed with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Like, that's our hope. That's our hope. Don't let your hope be misplaced. Make sure your hope is on the return of Jesus Christ. His coming to judge the living and the dead, 2 Timothy chapter 4. His coming to complete our redemption, Luke 21. His coming to change us in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That is, believers who have already died, reunited with their souls in new glorified bodies. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds, glorified ourselves to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. That is our hope. That is the event that we should be anticipating. Even more than the women's basketball finals this afternoon. <laughs> Listen, if, if that doesn't excite you, the return of Jesus, like if that doesn't, if you, if you don't long for that, if you don't pin your hopes on that, you're either dead, dead spiritually, or you need a revival. If that doesn't excite you, you're either dead or you need a revival. And Palm Sunday is a great day for it. A great day to confess your unbelief or your apathy or your misplaced hopes in the things of this world or anything else that's above the return of Christ in your heart and soul. A great day to confess those things. A great day to recover your excitement, rebuild your anticipation, and revive your hope. Because listen, listen, the king has not only come, but he's coming again. There's going to be a Palm Sunday of Palm Sundays. And for that, we ought to revive our hope. And then last, Palm Sunday, last but not least, is a great day to rekindle your worship. A great day to renew your commitment, recharge your spirit, refresh your obedience, revive your hope, and rekindle your worship. Your worship of the one who reigns, verse 15. Just follow along there as I Walk through verses 15 and 16. It's a great day to rekindle your worship of the one who reigns, the, the blessed and only sovereign, that is, the one who's worthy and in control of every last aspect, every last inch of this universe. The King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who's over all and above all, and not just barely, but infinitely above all and over all. Great day to rekindle your worship of him. That, that king, the one who alone has immortality, no beginning and no ending. We so often think of only God as having no ending. He had no beginning. If your mind's not exploding, you don't get it. If that doesn't rekindle your worship, you're not hearing it. The one who always has been and always will be. Rekindle your worship. Your worship of the one who's so Searingly holy and so purely righteous, he dwells in unapproachable light. Unapproachable light. No wonder the angels are face down before him. We ought to get used to it today. Unapproachable light, no shadow of turning, no darkness found. So bright and overwhelming, we won't even need a sun in the new heavens and new earth. True. Read the last chapter of the Bible. Rekindle your worship.
your worship of the one who's unseen, as Paul says here, but every bit as real as the person sitting next to you. Every bit as real as the unseen heat from a fire. Nobody questions whether heat is real or not, though it's unseen. And we certainly shouldn't question whether Jesus is real or not. Every bit as real as the unseen heart of a hero or the unseen love of a father. Rekindle your worship. Rekindle your worship to ascribe all the honor and eternal dominion, eternal dominion that's his. And there again, eternal doesn't just mean forever in the future. It means forever in the past, including the presence. We ought to rekindle our worship by ascribing honor and glory to Jesus forever and ever. All the power and might that's his, all the glory and blessing that he deserves. Palm Sunday is a great day. Palm Sunday is a great day, a great day to renew your commitment, recharge your spirit, refresh your obedience, revive your hope, and of all things, rekindle your worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you're not ready to stand, I don't have anything more for you. Let's get at it. Amen.